Welcome to the 52nd episode of the ACC Now podcast. We are between week zero and week one of the college football season, what used to be called the start of the college football season, back before we invented week zero, like splitting the atom. I'm News and Observer sports columnist Luke DeCock. My guest this week is Chip Alexander, who's been at the News and Observer for, I'm going to get this wrong, Chip, 43 years? (laughs) 43 is correct. 43 years. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about the long and storied history of the NC State-East Carolina rivalry, uh, one at which Chip was present at the creation uh, and uh, many of the uh, important moments along the way. And uh, he's going to be uh, helping out a little more with our NC State coverage this year as well. So it's an appropriate time uh, to check in with Chipper, uh, who I want to make sure I have this right as well. You were at the first game between NC State and East Carolina in 1970? I was there. I was a student at NC State at the time, and, uh, you know, it was a a non-conference game, as I recall, kind of in the middle of the season, and it it really wasn't that – didn't seem like that big a deal at the time. Uh, A non-conference game against East Carolina, it almost seemed like they were playing, you know, Lenore Ryan or Elon or or a real – you know, one of the smaller schools in the state, and I I don't think it sparked a whole lot of interest, even though I know the coach at the time, Earl Edwards, was, you know, that was his idea to play the game, and it was certainly a moneymaker for both teams. Anything else you remember about that game itself? Well, to be honest with you, I had to look it up, Luke, on the uh, the Interno archive. Uh, yeah, there's some things that I remember about it, but nothing that uh, anybody would want to hear about. Um, and looking at the game report, though, there were a little more than 28,000 people at the game, so the crowd was a little bit smaller than, than I remembered. Uh, one of my old friends, Jack Whitley, had the biggest play of the game, a 69-yard punt return, and State won the game 23-6. to So it wasn't a real exciting game, but it was the start of a, a rivalry that would be very intense, obviously, as the years went by. Well, yeah, it's hard to imagine 52 years later you'd be in a position where East Carolina and NC State still in very different conferences, uh, but, you know, the, the Pirates have absolutely held their own in Greenville over the years. And now you have what may be the most promising NC State season in decades, at least in terms of uh, on paper and preseason hype. And where does it start? But in Greenville, which has been the graveyard of of so many NC State teams in the past. What's your take, Chip, on sort of starting this season there and 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 sort of what that what that means for NC State's season in general? Well, I thought it was an interesting decision by Dave Doran to, to go to Greenville and play that game. I know a few years ago, obviously, they had a couple of easy wins over East Carolina, but certainly Doran knows Mike Houston. He knows his background as a coach. He knows that certainly this being his fourth year, he has his players in place. He has a fourth-year uh, starter, quarterback, a very good football team playing at home. They're excited, too. I mean, it's their opener. You know, they've been looking ahead to this all through spring ball and, and preseason camp. and. He knows that uh, with the crowd down there uh, being, I'm sure there'll be a lot of NC State fans, but obviously a lot of East Carolina fans will be hooting and hollering. Even with a noon start, I think it's going to be a pretty rowdy atmosphere down there. And I think Doran, from what he said today, you know, they're, they're going to be playing at home after this game and then go to Clemson. And I think he did not want that Clemson game to be his first away experience with his team, even though he has an experienced team. He didn't want that to be his first uh away environment that he has to take this team into. So I think it's a good start for them. I think it is a game that the Wolfpack can lose. I know there's a lot of high expectations, but I think if, if state fans 
will be honest with themselves. They know that this could be a hard-fought game that could come down to a couple of plays. Yeah, and Dave Doran, 0-1 in Greenville, uh, the, the the loss in 2016 that included the uh, the fake field goal with the kicker running with the ball uh, and and other highlights, lowlights from that game. Not not a uh, terrific East Carolina team, but uh, uh, they got the win there. So stranger stranger things certainly have happened uh, in this rivalry, especially uh, at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, which is uh, honestly, you know, I, honestly, Chip, I think on the Saturday afternoon. Maybe the best environment in the state, especially going into the fourth quarter and, you know, the songs playing, the flags are waving and the cannons firing. And, and it's 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 a special place. And I think, you know, we get caught up in the the ACC part of this sometimes uh, with with state and Carolina and Duke and Wake and, and Clemson right across the border and, and, and all that and, and the history and, you know, UNC and Virginia playing every year since creation and all that. But. Uh, when you go down to East Carolina, and I, I've never been to a home game in Boone, so I can't speak to that only by reputation. But that's that's big time football, and, and it, it may not it may not be an ACC game. It you know has been a Conference USA game, an independent uh, American Athletic Conference. Now that is not a situation to be trifled with. And over the years, East Carolina's you know, taking down its share of bigger names. Obviously, we don't need to get into all of the very famous upsets going back uh, to Steve Logan and beyond, but uh, certainly a history there, whether it's against State or Carolina or Duke, of, uh, of of knocking teams around down there. you have any specific memories of games in Greenville that stick with you, Chip? <laughs> well, I have quite a few of them, Luke, and uh, certainly being around this long, you know, I was once the ECU beat writer when Pat Dye was there, and uh, I like the kid around, and this is going to be a big story Saturday. will be Ruff and McNeil going back to Greenville and being in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium for the first time in a long time. And, and certainly I know he said this week or when, you know, when he had his media availability, it's going to be a pretty emotional time for him. But uh, I do remember going down. It used to be called Ficklin Stadium. I remember having to walk up through the stands to the press box. It was one of those kind of stadiums in a smaller park, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's increased its size. It's now a big-time stadium. Uh, mentioning Ruffin McNeil, and, and I kidded with him a few years ago when he was still the ECU coach. You know, I did cover the, the team uh, that he actually played on in the bowl game against Louisiana Tech, the Independence Bowl that he played. So, you know, I like to kid with Ruffin that, you know, I remember him as a player before a coach when he was actually pretty spelt, <laughs> a pretty spelt safety and, uh, and a good player, actually. And I asked him one time what he remembers most about playing at East Carolina, and, and, and Ruffin said, one thing I'll never forget is Pat Dye wore those size 12 shoes. And uh, I said, that's a big memory for you. Why do you remember being size 12? He said, because I was always trying to take one of them out of my butt most days after practice. <laughs> so uh, if you know Ruffin, you know that's the kind of story he can tell. But, uh, no, I expect a really, really good uh, college environment down there uh, this weekend. And, and I think it would be that case. You know, if East Carolina was playing, say, a Central Florida, but it's going to be even more juiced with it being NC State. Yeah, I remember Ruffin's first game back at East Carolina as head coach in 2010. They opened against Tulsa. And they won the game on a Hail Mary, just an incredible finish, terrific atmosphere. You know, a lot of optimism about where the program was headed after Skip Holtz left um because of who they brought back and and what East Carolina meant to Ruffin McNeil and vice versa. And I just remember standing in the end zone the celebrations going on and McNeil shaking hands and he's come back from from you know midfield 
he's walking back toward the locker room and Terry Holland who hired him is standing there waiting for him and they didn't even say anything they just kind of leapt into each other's arms and you knew what this had meant for both of them both Ruffin McNeil coming back and starting his career as all moderate like that and Terry Holland who who took you know a bit of a gamble on a guy who had all of one game of head coaching experience uh for Texas Tech in the bowl game against Michigan State uh to come back and 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 you know the guys that they'd hired uh, for that job, other than John Thompson, who our old columnist Colton Tudor always used to describe <laughs> as that boob, uh, you know, Steve Loken, Skip Holtz, uh, you had to die, you go farther back than that. Uh, they're really successful guys. And there's a lot of pressure at East Carolina, as, as Scotty Montgomery found out, succeeding Russian, Ruffin McNeil and Mike Houston will learn as he, he gets more time there. There's ex high expectations, and it's not a program uh, that accepts mediocrity. Uh, and has not over the years and and you know the timing of their swoon when they fired Ruffin for reasons that will never be satisfactorily explained uh right when they started investing in the new press box which I'll see for the first time on Saturday uh really put the school in a a, a financial pinch uh that in some ways it's still trying to get out from so uh I I would be remiss Chip you mentioned covering East Carolina for a while back when the NNO used to do that sort of thing on a regular basis uh I, I i can't remember exactly what it was but i believe it was something like when you're lying there on the operating table and the heart surgeon is about to cut you open which diploma would you rather see on the wall stanford or east carolina i believe that's the one that got you in trouble well it's it seemed to yeah at the time and it was a column that was written in the office and, and passed around to several people and everybody seemed to think it was funny till it was in the paper the next day and, I, and a lot of east carolina fans read it they did not find it funny uh i was trying to be uh a little bit of satire there but it didn't come off well and that was my mistake but uh they were playing stanford in the liberty bowl uh it was quite a contrast in a way with with the, the school in eastern you know north carolina and here's the the school on the West Coast and all the things that go with it. And uh, certainly it made me a pariah, I guess uh, was the best word. And Carlton Tudor was proud to come back from the, our old colleague Carlton Tudor was glad to come back from the Liberty Bowl with an actual button uh, that said, you know, Society for the Prevention of Chip Alexanders, uh, which were actually handed out at the bowl game, apparently. So I think that was the first and only time for me uh, and certainly, you know, I, I've, I've covered a lot of state East Carolina games through the years. I remember not long after that, in fact, the, the game in Charlotte where, where East Carolina won big. I uh, saw another game in Charlotte where NC State won big. I think that was Mario Williams' last game in NC State. But uh, the game in Raleigh in 1987 uh, where they had the post-game uh, situation debacle at Created a lot of ill will and actually ended the series after 17 years. So uh, for for a few years until Dick Sheridan agreed to play them in the Peach Bowl game, and that, and that became a kind of an instant classic for a game that started at 11 a.m. on uh, January 1. But uh, now there've been a lot of you know there've been some duds. There've been some duds in the series. I've seen some bad games. I've seen some really really good games. I've seen some controversial games. I think uh, I have a feeling those Saturdays game. And I might be wrong here. I, I think Saturday's game is going to be a really good football game. I don't know whether it would be a really good football game. I, openers tend to be a little bit chaotic and comedic at times. But I think it'll be close. I, you know, I, I think under normal circumstances, if NC State were playing a team from the AAC, 
with East Carolina, you know, that was bowl eligible, but barely, um, you know, the, given that this is the number 15 team in the country, there'd be high expectations for a resounding win. I don't think even the most optimistic NC State fan expects to go in there and clean ECU's clock, which is kind of a acknowledgement of all the history um, that's, that's going on. Um, I want to go back to some of those games you mentioned, though, um, and start with a game that that I don't know whether you were there or not, but I, it would have been in, in your sort of on your radar was the 99 Hurricane Floyd game between ECU and Miami at Carter Finley. Um, that was slightly before my time. But what do you remember sort of about that and, and sort of the, uh, the, 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 the the lead up to that, not involving NC State, of course, but played in NC State Stadium? Well, you know, I was not at that game, Luke, but I, I do remember the game well. And, and certainly with the hurricane, I thought it was, you know, it was for all the talk about the, you know, the angst or whatever between NC State and East Carolina and problems in the past and all that. It was, you know, I thought awfully uh, it well received the fact that NC State made, you know, Carter Finley Stadium available for that game. And it became one of the biggest wins in ECU's program history. And one that uh, most ECU fans finally remember, even uh, whatever, 23 years after the fact now. Um, and I can't remember or not. I'd have to go back and look. But either the East Carolina fans carried the goalpost out of the stadium or NC State officials said, wait a minute, uh, enjoy your win, but we're going to keep the goalpost. <laughs> I can't remember which one it was. Uh, but hospitality certainly, only goes so far. <laughs> but I and they may have taken the goalposts anyway. I'm not sure, but uh, I do remember that night, and I remember that uh, I don't know. It seemed to change things a little bit, maybe between the two schools when it came to the football rivalry. Uh, the the fact that NC State made the stadium available in a very tough time for Eastern North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned the '87 brawl game. What started that brawl? There had been some problems uh, a few years before that, um, and I think they were just concerned that that if it, you know that the fans may get a little out of control at the end of the game. And and I think what happened, as I remember correctly, is is both ads Jim Valvano was in the athletic director at State, and and the ad at East Carolina both made an appeal to their fan bases, regardless of who wins this game. You know, let's show good sportsmanship all those kind of things, Let's not, not have any kind of fracas or anything that would mar the game. And uh, I don't know, for some reason, I think the, the ECU fans had it in their mind that, and this is when they used to have the green grass at the uh, south end of the stadium in the field, you know, just a, just a bank there where fans could sit, that they were going to charge down and, and, uh, and kind of take the field. And that would mean knocking over a fence and some of the hedges and these kind of things. And and that's what happened at the end of the game. Big win for ECU. The fans were excited. They charged the field. Uh, some NC State fans were on the field saying, no, we don't want you out here. Uh, one one security guard was injured. I think he was hit in the eye, and a pretty serious eye injury. So it got it got messy at the end. And one of the, I think one of the things I remember most about it is, once again, our, our colleague Carlton Tudor was the uh, – that was his first – game as the as the NC State beat writer that night uh and uh, he asked me I was in the press box he asked me can you go find Jim Valvano and get some kind of comment about what this might do to the series and I said I'll try I'll try it I went down the old elevator and I was running through the concourse and I saw um Valvano uh, had parked down at the end of the concourse where he usually did and he was going to his car and I ran down and grabbed him 
and ask him about the, the future of the series. None of his answers uh, were printable <laughs> that night. As I went back and told uh, Carlton Tudor, he said, uh, did you see Volvano? I said, yes. Uh, what are his comments? I said, no comment. Not tonight. And, and certainly um, in the aftermath, there was, there was a lot of talk among the uh, officials about how, how much security would be needed in future games to make sure nothing like that would happen again. And I think they decided that it would be so prohibitive that the best thing to do is just would be to end the series. You know, and nobody knew at that time when or if it would be played again. But certainly that Peach Bowl game in Atlanta a few years later was a start towards bringing the two back together again. What were the circumstances of the, the Peach Bowl game? You mentioned that State agreed to play East Carolina in the Peach Bowl. What were sort of the circumstances with that, and, and how did that come together? Because that is a memorable game in that in that series. As I recall, the, the Peach Bowl had invited NC State, and State had a good, you know, had had a good season that year. And uh, Dick Sheridan had a uh, – he kind of had a personal policy that if he could play any team that was ranked above him in a bowl game, if he had that opportunity, they were the ACC representative in the game. If he could, if he could uh, line his team up against a team ranked higher than them, they would agree to play. Uh, that team, regardless who it was, feeling that if they won the game, it would help them move up in the rankings. And it just so happened that, that East Carolina – uh, I think it lost only one game that year. They were like 11, 10 and one or 11 and one. And they were ranked higher than NC State. And State might have been ranked 14th. East Carolina might have been 11th or something like that. And even though it would bring together two teams, you know, from the same two schools from the same state, which would be unusual, I think it might have been unprecedented at the time in a bowl game. Sheridan said that would be good. And they said, well, you know, the two schools have had problems in the past. And, and Dick Sheridan said, no, I think. I think it'd make a great matchup. And as it turned out, it turned out to be a great football game. You were at NC State's only win in Greenville in 2007. <laughs> what do you, now, obviously, the, for, for clarity's sake, most of the series, especially in the early years, uh, was played in Raleigh. And then, and then, you know, when there was sort of more of a gap between the programs, sort of in terms of stature, I, there's a gap financially now um, because it's 2022 and, whatever gap there is from the Big Ten to the ACC, there's a gap from the ACC to the AAC, but they're both FBS programs, obviously, um, that, you know, the 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 sort of, uh, they were in, at different levels when this series started, and East Carolina has steadily, in that period of time, worked its way up from the 70s and 80s into becoming a sort of independent powerhouse. But all that said, in Greenville, NC State's only won the one time, that was 2007. What stands out to you about that game? I remember that was a Tom O'Brien team, and he had it really well prepared that day to go in there. And, I, and, and it almost seemed like East Carolina – I don't know if East Carolina was a little overconfident or not. I can't remember. Uh, but I know they had uh, Chris Johnson, who uh, went on to you know be a pretty big-time player in the NFL. And it just seems to me, if I remember correctly, he was underused in that game a little bit. He, you know, he might have had 17 or 18 rushing carries and, and caught a couple of passes. But for a guy of his stature, you would think, and I think maybe uh, Skip Holtz caught a little heat after the game for not, you know, getting him more touches in that game. But, uh, you know, the the game itself, uh, I think State played, if I, if I remember correctly, they didn't make a lot of turnovers. And Daniel Evans was the quarterback and played awfully well. I think he threw for 335 yards and three touchdowns. So kind of the unexpected star again that that day in a season in which Daniel Evans would pop up and be a star from time to time. And he was at his best that day. 
And as I recall, it was a fairly easy win for NC State. And um, they went on from there, you know. And, and But then again, the games have been down there. I mean, you've seen Russell Wilson go down there and lose, and, and Dave Doran went down there and lost that game in 2016. So I think uh, with that past history, they, they know what they're looking at on Saturday. You would you would think so. I, I said something earlier, Chip, and you you have a lot more historical perspective on this than I do. I said that this was the most anticipated NC State football season in decades. Where would you rank it, sort of in 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 the the four plus decades that you've been following along with NC State football in terms of what the team is thought to be capable of doing? Obviously, there have been years where people thought. You know, obviously, in the Philip Rivers era, especially that oh, you know, state can be good, um, but it feels like a lot. There's a lot of tailwinds here that 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 could potentially push the Wolfpack along. Where does this sort of fit in historically to you? Well, I think, and I, I harken back to that that 2003 season where they were coming off the 11 win you know season in 02 and beat Notre Dame in the bowl game, and and, and obviously having Philip Rivers. And Jericho Cotri and a lot of those guys coming back, and, and there was a lot of hype going into that year. I think Sports Illustrated ranked them eighth, you know, in preseason. And uh, I think a lot of people in, in Florida State had been beaten by NC State a few times, so they weren't that dominant. They didn't have that mystique that they once had, that that could be a breakthrough year. And, and one thing I remember about that year, early in the year, I think most people remember they lost at Wake Forest. Uh, but they went into that game the, the week before playing Ohio State, which was might be the most anticipated game I remember in all these years. That uh, they went into Wake Forest, Wake Forest won the toss and took the uh, took the ball first, and it was Jim Grove saying, "We're going to dictate the game," which they did. The NC State had a had a young defense, guys who would be really good in another year or two, like Mario Williams. But uh, I remember the anticipation for that season. And uh, there were a couple of years when Dick Sheridan was there before Florida State got in the league. But uh, the way this team has come together, the way Dave Doran has taken it from that 4-8 team in 2019, and a lot of those players or a number of those players are still on the team. And as he said today, we all have the scars to, 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 to prove that what we've been through the last few years and certainly to put together the kind of seasons they've had these last two years and to have this many players coming back and, and have a proven quarterback who they need to keep upright, uh, I, I believe, in Devin Leary, uh, and, and playing well. But this is a team that can, this team could win the ACC championship. And I guess maybe you've you mentioned how long I've been around. I'm one of the few probably active writers who remember and wrote about NC State winning a football, an ACC football championship. So I think this team could do it. But, you know, once again, I mean, they got that game at Clemson. As people have said, they're landmines throughout the schedule, as there are with every team. And there's there's Wake Forest again, home or away. That seems to be their nemesis. So um, we'll see how it all comes together. If they can keep everybody healthy, uh, I think they can make a they can make a run at it. I think you know NC State fans are looking for something really good to happen. I think in a championship in one of these sports, and maybe this could be the year that uh, one of these teams delivers for them. If I told you 20 years ago that football was going to win an ACC championship before the basketball team, what would you have said? <laughs> well, the analogy I like to bring up is, and you're talking about the 87 state team that won the last ACC basketball championship. I said, in 1987, what would you have said if somebody had said, Raleigh will get an NHL team and win a Stanley Cup before NC State wins another basketball championship? 
Or football championship, yeah. for that matter. Yeah. Or football championship. Or baseball too. championship. <laughs> or any yeah, those championships. So, uh, yeah, it would have been hard to find them. And I go back long enough growing up in Raleigh when I remember NC State winning championships under Earl Edwards and, and certainly uh, Norm Sloan, Jim Valvano. And uh, it's a lot tougher these days, obviously, and, and the landscape's changed a lot. And, but, you know, once again, Florida State came in the league in 92, and they pretty much dominated for a decade, and that took it away from a lot of teams there. So those days have ended, and it's uh, and then, of course, this Clemson run, uh, but they seem to have slipped back. So maybe this is the year. We'll see. Yeah, the, the real missed opportunity in there was the, the sort of post-expansion period uh, where the Atlantic Division and teams like Wake Forest, Boston College uh, were able to play for ACC titles, um, and NC State just was was unable in that period of time to to rise to the moment when other you know it was that that was sort of the window between Florida State and Clemson. Some schools got through it, and some schools did not. So, uh, if if you had to say one thing, one element uh, that this season depends upon for the Wolfpack, uh, what what would that be? I think I just said it, <laughs> keeping Devin Leary healthy this yeah. year. Uh, I think Doran has some confidence in his backups, the guys that would come in after Leary. But, uh, you know, once again, preseason player of the year in the ACC and a guy who could have a, you know, last year, I don't know what the stats were, 35-5 and five touchdowns to interceptions. Uh, monumental season. I mean, if he has another season like that, puts that together, NC State has a chance to win any game they play in, I think. And uh, not to say they'll go undefeated, but uh, – you're looking at their schedule. I mean, that game at Clemson is huge, obviously, but the, all the games are winnable, I think. Who's your running back? For the Wolfpack? Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be Houston. I, you know, I, Once again, you, you know, last year they talked about, well, we lost Ricky Person Jr. and, you know, Bam, uh, you know, Bam, all those guys are gone or whatever. But uh, once again, I mean, the, the running game really struggled late in the year. And uh, as Doran, Dave Doran said in his press conference uh, on Monday, he said, you know, uh, this is a, these running backs all read these stories. Everybody's gone. Look what they've got left. And it's kind of juiced them up a little bit. So somebody's going to step forward and and really, uh, I think, and have a really good season for State. And they don't need somebody to be great. They don't need a 1,300-yard rusher. But they need somebody they can count on. When it's third and three, you need that running back. If you're going to run the ball, that can get that first down for you. So. Um, it could be Houston. I think he's paid, you know, he's, he's paid his dues and he's gotten to this point where, uh, he's experienced and I think he's eager and he's hungry. Yeah. I, I think Jordan Houston's a terrific player and I think he's, he adds a lot to the offense and can be a, a pretty versatile back. I don't know. He's the guy to get you three yards on third down, but we'll see. And there's no depth chart yet because Dave Doran said he wasn't <laughs> going to release his depth chart until East Carolina released theirs. So I guess if that's important to you, that's the kind of thing you do. But uh, we'll see. Big game Saturday, Chip. You and I will both be in Greenville. Good Lord willing, and the, the river don't rise again. Um, and uh, we'll see how this NC State season starts. Thanks very much, Chip. We didn't hang up on you. <laughs> well, if you wanted me to use my real southern drawl, I could have done that for you. But uh, we'll hear a lot of the southern drawl in Greenville on Saturday. It'll, be, it'll make for a nice atmosphere. Yeah, should be a good one. Thank you, Chip. This has been the ACC Now Podcast. I'm Luke Decock.